0: Good morning, please stand with me to Mark chapter 14, uh, verse 53 to verse 65. Uh, Mark chapter 14, verse 53 to verse 65, is our reading for today. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together, and Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another, not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And Sam began to spit on him and cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. The question we are asking is this, why did Jesus suffer? Uh, That is a question we are asking, in fact, over the next few messages in Mark as we follow Jesus on the road to Golgotha. Now, we are in Passion Week, uh, in the Gospel of Mark, the week when Jesus was put to death. It is Thursday night. Jesus has been arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, his close disciple, Judas, has sought him out. The eleven apostles have already left it. And Jesus now is alone and in chains. That's where we left Jesus last week in Mark. Uh, he is now about to be tried and tortured by the Sanhedrin. From now on, actually, from this arrest onwards, it is suffering, suffering, and more suffering from, for our Lord Jesus Christ. And the question throughout, over the next few weeks, we must keep asking is, why is our Lord Jesus Christ suffering? You know, your answer to that question not only affects how you live, uh, it also reveals where you spend eternity. It all comes down to how all of us answer that question. Why did Jesus suffer on earth? And so over the next few weeks, we will see that the suffering of Jesus is a bit like a diamond. Uh, Each suffering event reveals something beautiful about who Jesus is and what he has come to do. And it also reveals something about us, our need for Jesus. Now today we're looking at... uh, The first event after his arrest, which is the trial of Jesus, the trial he faces in Mark chapter fourteen, verse fifty-three to verse sixty-five, he's facing this trial uh, by the Sanhedrin, that is the religious council uh, of the Jews. And in this event, as they try Jesus and end up torturing him, we are asking a simple question: Why did Jesus suffer injustice? Why did Jesus suffer injustice? And in this passage, there are two answers I just want to draw out. And they follow a similar structure to what we've, the structure we've been following for some time now in Mark, and we'll be following uh, over the next few weeks. And, and it's just two points, really, that uh, helps us to answer that question. The first, the first answer to this question of why did Jesus suffer, the answer is simply this, Jesus suffered... Because Jesus is God suffering injustice from us. Why did Jesus suffer injustice? Well, because Jesus is God suffering injustice from us. That's the first truth we learn here. Now, as I said, it is Passover night. And Jesus has been brought to Caiaphas, the high priest, for trial. But it is soon clear, as this trial begins to take place, that this is not a legitimate court, really. This is a kangaroo court where Jesus is, is being tried. Let's read on verse 53 to verse 55. And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. This is a Sanhedrin. And Peter had followed him at the distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. The high priest at the time is Cephas. And he, that is Peter, was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. Let's just pause there. Uh, It feels a bit like ages ago now when we watched that uh, uh, interesting impeachment trial of Donald J. Trump. Uh, in the United States. We watched that on our television and as we watched that uh, it was a sham trial, wasn't it? Because it was a trial in which all the jurors, in that case senators and even congressmen before that, had already made up their minds even before they turned up for the trial, right? They only went at each of the stages, all of them only went there to look for evidence to argue for their corner. Indeed, many of them said, we have already made up our minds um, uh, on the situation. And this is what the Idrin is doing here. They have concluded that the defendant is already guilty and deserves death. And now, what they are just doing here is that they have come to look for evidence to, to prove that. Now, They shouldn't be doing this really. This trial shouldn't even be taking place. Uh, Their motive is wrong, uh, but not only that, they shouldn't even be holding this trial at night because the rules, their own rules, forbid that. They should also not even be contemplating passing a death sentence during Passover, because that's what they are looking for in verse 55. We are told now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testament against Jesus to do what? To put him to death. They are not meant to even contemplate imposing a death penalty on anyone during Passover night. But all the rules are being thrown under the bus. But to their surprise, I guess, is as they try and just drive off to their destination it seems they soon bump into a self-made barrier. Let's read verse 55 to verse 59. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none. For many bore false witnesses against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him. That is Jesus saying... We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet, even about this, their testimony did not agree. You know, Jesus, our Lord Jesus, is such an amazing person. So perfect, so holy. He has such an impeccable character that even his enemies are struggling to find enough liars to build up the case against him. The evidence against Jesus is just not stacking up. Now, to to, to take forward this case against Jesus, they need at least two witnesses that agree on the case against Jesus. But they can't find two witnesses that agree. And so the entire case now, it just looks like it's just collapsing. And Cephas, the high priest, senses it is collapsing. So in a moment of utter madness, uh, he gets up and he shoves aside all oh, his secret trust as an impartial judge. And he now decides to become the chief prosecutor. Let's read on verse 16. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is this? What is that these men testify against you? All of these are leading questions. They, they are not permitted in the trial. And yet, Cephas is so desperate at this that he's just firing them on at Jesus. But even with that, he's not getting anywhere. Because we are taught, as we read on to verse 61. But Jesus remained silent. He remained silent and made no answer. So Cephas is now stuck. What is he going to do? I mean, the case has now just collapsed. The defendant is just silent. He has nothing to take to to, to Pilate. But then Cephas has a brainwave. We read on in verse 61. And the high priest Asked him. Asked Jesus. Are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? Now, on the, on the surface, it seems like just a normal question that you'd expect Jesus to answer. But this is actually a clever question. It's an improvement on the leading questions in the wrong direction. But it's an improvement for Kerfus, given the questions, given where they have been, they are so far. It is a clever question. Because what Cephas is doing is is asking Jesus if he is the Messiah, the promised king of Israel. Now at this point, if Jesus stays quiet, it is as good as Jesus saying no, right? And the problem with that is that it may discredit him before the people. Remember Jesus in Mark 11 has rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and everybody is sort of praising him as the son of David. This is their coming king. So the people believe that. And on good ground. And of course, his disciples have already heard Peter confess Jesus as the Christ. So the disciples also already know Jesus is king. So if Jesus remained quiet at this point now, it would discredit him. But if Jesus says yes, then he is claiming to be the king by his own mouth. And that is all Cephas needs to get the Roman authorities to put our Lord Jesus to death for treason. So it's a clever question. And it raises the question, what will Jesus do? And to our surprise, Jesus not only answers the question, he drops a theological bombshell that sends theological waves, shockwaves everywhere. Let's read on verse 62. And Jesus said, I am. And you see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power. That is at the right hand of God. And coming with the clouds of heaven. That is coming with the glory, the Shekinah glory of heaven. Now to understand what a big deal this is, just how big this is, we need to put ourselves in the shoes of the Sanhedrin and the rest of the Jews at this time. We need to remember that in general the Jews at this time did not expect the Messiah to be God in the flesh. They expected the Messiah to be the Son of God, but not in terms of divinity, but as a Son of God by appointment. Just like Adam is called the Son of God. But when Jesus answers the question, he not only confirms that he is a long-awaited Messiah, God's anointed king of Israel. He expands their understanding of what the title itself means. Or his own identity as the Messiah. Jesus says is saying here, when he says, you see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power. Jesus is saying he's the Son of Man who is talked about in Daniel chapter 7. And when he says seated at the right hand of power, he's driving their minds back to Psalm 110. He's saying he's David's greatest son who sits at the right hand of God in Psalm 110. If you like, Jesus is saying, I am God the Son. Not only by appointment, I am God the Son in my divine nature. And I will come back in heavenly glory and splendor to judge everyone. Including you who are judging me now. And as expected, hearing that, the Sanhedrin... As soon as the words leave Jesus' mouth, the court session descends into a riot. Kephas, Kephas tears his clothes in outrage. Look, Let's read verse 63. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? And instead of the Sanhedrin answering that question and saying, yes, let's get more witnesses. Let's examine Jesus a bit more to understand this claim. No, no, no. the Sanhedrin doesn't do any of that. They don't push back against Cephas. They don't ask as they should be asking for a test of claim by Jesus. They simply move to condemn Jesus to death. And so we read this in verse 64. Cephas says, You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And we read, And they all condemned him as deserving death. You know, the normal principle in cases of death penalty at this time is for the Sanhedrin to wait for 24 hours um, between hearing the case and sentencing uh, our Lord Jesus. But not tonight. The Sanhedrin has arrested, tried, convicted And sentence Jesus within an hour or two. It is a corrupt trial. It is a fix. It is a complete sham. And just when you thought it can't get any worse. The jurors and judges. That is the Sanhedrin. They now join in with the security guards to torture Jesus. Let's read on verse 65. And some began to spit on him and cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. As we look at this, we are shaking our heads. And then as we read those words, we tremble, don't we? Why are we trembling? Well, because... Who of, because of who they are torturing. That, that verse forces us to ask the question. Why are they so violent against Jesus? Why are they torturing Jesus? And the answer is obvious. By the charge they have given against Jesus. They are torturing Jesus because Jesus is God our creator. They are rejecting Jesus. His claim to divinity. Jesus is being tortured for revealing a terrifying truth. For revealing that the person they are spitting on is God in human flesh. The person they are put on trial is the creator God, the one who called the worlds into existence. It dawns on us that. As a Sanhedrin, shame and torture Jesus. They are literally sitting on the infinite wrath of God. What a terrifying position to be in. To put God on trial, condemn him and spit at his face. What a dangerous thing that they are doing. You know, a lot of people think, who think they are clever like to say they would love to believe in the God of the Bible if only the God of the Bible would reveal himself to them. Well, the Bible says God has done that in Jesus. And we responded to his revelation. We respond to his revelation in Jesus by spitting at him, mocking him. And killing him. God has revealed himself in Christ. And we react to him by treating him less than he deserves. We treat him less than his worth. Less than his majesty. Less than his dignity. I say we because it is not just the Idrin who have done this. It is not just the temple guards. It is all of us. We all share in this guilt of treating God less than he deserves. None of us treat Jesus our God as he deserves to be treated. You know, Jesus our God created us to be in a loving, reverent, dignifying relationship with him. He alone brought this world into existence and he alone deserves to take first place in our life. The triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit must be first in our lives. Because that's what it means to treat God as he deserves to be treated. To give God is due. His justice, is what he deserves is to treat him as he deserves to be treated. Is to treat him as first. To treat God as he deserves to be treated is, is, is to surrender our lives and make sure everything in our lives revolves around God. To ensure that he has a first place in our lives. Not ourselves. Not your spouse. Not your children. Not your friends. Not this church. Not your work. Not the country. God deserves first place. But none of us treat God like that. We do not give God the number one spot every single moment in our life. Believer or non-believer, none of us do. We give him less honor than he deserves. And the Bible's word for that, friends, is sin. Sin is not just doing bad things. It is doing what the Sanhedrin is doing here. Sin puts God on trial and then finds him guilty and then spits on him and condemns him to death. Sin makes God less than he is. It brings him down to our level. Sin refuses to give God the glory and honor he deserves. And that's the DNA of our lives. That's, that's how we live. All of us are sinners. All of us do not give God the honor he deserves. And Mark here is drawing our attention to this so that we understand that no one can have any life with God without first coming to terms with this truth. Without understanding and and submitting to this truth. That Jesus is God who deserves to be treated as he is. And yet Jesus does not get the honor he deserves. Instead we learn here that Jesus is God suffering injustice from us. And you cannot be a follower of Jesus until you come to that proper understanding and take on board the full weight of that truth. Do you see and feel your injustice against God? Do you see that you treat God less than he deserves? Well, if you do then, the suffering, the injustice that suffer, Jesus is suffering is actually good news for you. Why is Jesus suffering injustice? Well, the second truth we learn here is that Jesus is suffering injustice because Jesus is God suffering injustice for us. Because you see, the most shocking thing about the unjust trial of Jesus. It's not the torture of Jesus per se. It is not even the blindness, um, the grotesque torture in of itself. It's not even the the, the blindness uh, of man, the human sinfulness and spiritual blindness that has led man to torture his God. That's terrible. But it's not the most shocking thing. For me, the most shocking thing for me is that God is allowing this to happen in the first place. You see, when Caiaphas asked Jesus a question in verse 61, he asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus can do what he normally does. He can answer with, a, with, a, with, a, with his own question. And he could put the owners back on Cephas. But our Lord does not do that. Instead what our Lord does is he uses the opportunity to reveal himself as God. And he does this knowing full well that this will mean torture to his body and ultimately his death. Because he reveals that in verse 62, and Jesus said, I am and you see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Now this answer to Jesus that reveals his divinity is a free choice by Jesus. It is a free choice by him to suffer now injustice, even more injustice. It is a free choice by Jesus to suffer Death on the cross. Because he knows that answer will cost him his life. And so we have to ask the question then, why is Jesus doing that? Well, because he has come as God's promised chosen servant to suffer in our place. You see, everything that Jesus is doing, and as we approach Golgotha, we must bear in mind that everything our Lord Jesus Christ is doing is in the Bible. And even here, the silence of Jesus, that Jesus, as Jesus is there silent, is fulfilling the words of Isaiah 53, verse 7 to 8. There the prophet Isaiah, writing 700 years before the Lord Jesus, says this, of Jesus, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living. Stricken not for his sins, no, but for the transgression of my people. That is for the silence and the death. As for the spitting and torture... Well, Jesus is experiencing that in fulfillment of Isaiah 50, verse 5 to 6. Speaking of the suffering servant again, we read of God's chosen servant. The Lord God, in verse 5 to 6 of Isaiah 50, The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backwards. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out. The beard, I hid not my first from disgrace and splitting. And the Apostle Peter, who of course is a high witness um, for much of Mark, speaking now in his own letter in First Peter, he tells us that Jesus suffered injustice not for himself but for those who trust in Him. In Jesus, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that, why? that He might bring us, as children of God, He might bring us to God. In 1 Peter 2, verse 22 to 24, He had already said this, Speaking of Jesus, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. The Bible says our sin has separated us from God. From God who alone is a source of life. It says we are under the punishment of death in all of its forms. Romans 6 verse 28. And God can only remove that punishment hanging over us if someone perfect Willingly takes our place and suffers the punishment from God for us. That individual must be human to stand in for us, and he must be powerful to take on himself the full weight of God's punishment. And the good news of Jesus is that God the Son has willingly stepped into our shoes. Suffered injustice, gone to that cross to die in our place. The unjust trial of Jesus at Cephas' house was part of his suffering in our place as our substitute that culminated in his death on the cross for us. There on the cross, the great exchange took place the righteous for the unrighteous, the just for the unjust, that he might through his death bring us. God, see, someone must shoulder the punishment for your sin. Either you do it, or Jesus must willingly do it for you. One way or another, the justice of God must be satisfied. If Jesus did not suffer injustice by us, he could not be sentenced to death on the cross for us. And if it didn't die, we would get what we deserve from God. See, the good news is that right there on the cross is our Savior dying for us. The good news is that right there in Cephas' house of Horus, our Lord in his confession, in his public confession before Cephas, chose to suffer the nails on the cross for us. And this is what salvation means. Salvation is Jesus our God, the sinless man, willingly suffering injustice to satisfy the justice of God in our place. Whatever your situation this morning, this truth that God has suffered injustice in your place should make you pause and reflect on your life. It should first of all remind you just how serious the problem of sin is. It is so serious that it takes God to suffer injustice in order to save us from his wrath and judgment. And that alone should be enough for you to hate sin in your life. How can we be so complacent about a crime that takes God to suffer, to pay for its punishment? Most importantly, we should make you see clearly that the love of Jesus is beyond comparison. Oh, beloved, what a loving and gracious God our Jesus is! He could have simply left us there to perish in hell forever. But he didn't. Out of his great love for you, he pursued you all the way to Cephas' house. There in the house of Horus, he suffered injustice by us and for us. And he did not stop there. We'll see in the next couple of weeks that he carries on to Golgotha, where he died for you. And then after three days, He rose victoriously out of the grave because Jesus was too big for death to own him. He rose from the grave to give you new life in him. It takes a truly hard and stony heart not to be moved by the amazing condescension, the amazing sacrifice, the amazing love of Jesus. In fact, it is more than love. This is what the Bible calls it, grace. It is God's relentless pursuit of rebel, a love that comes after sinners to offer us a free, priceless gift of eternal life with God, purchased by the blood of God himself. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you know this love for yourself? Have you accepted this amazing gift of Christ as your substitute? Are you trusting in Jesus for your life with God? You see, if you have not surrendered to Jesus, can I invite you to run to Jesus today? Receive his gift of new life with God. Let the Let Jesus bear the justice of God on His back for you. Do not refuse to wholeheartedly surrender to Jesus. Because if you refuse, you are doing exactly what the Sanhedrin are doing. You are rejecting God to His face. And you must ask yourself, what do you think God would do to someone who willfully spits on Him Someone who profanes the precious death of his beloved son. Someone who owes Jesus to contempt. The answer is obvious, isn't it? We can imagine the horrors of hell that awaits such a person. And you are hearing this today. Because God does not want that for you. So repent of your sin. And surrender your life to Jesus. And what of us who are already trusting in the suffering of Jesus for our sin? What does the unjust suffering of Jesus mean for us? I think it means two things. First of all, it means let us keep adoring Jesus for all that he has done for us. Jesus allowed himself to be spat on, kicked on, and mocked on, just to be with us. It is above my head how the judge of the earth would allow himself to be arrested, imprisoned, tried, and sentenced to death for me. Oh, what heavenly humbleness! What humiliation our Lord Jesus suffered for us! What love, what mercy, what grace! Oh, words fail us! As a hymn writer asks, What language shall I borrow to thank thee, dearest friend, for this thy dying sorrow, thy pity without end? Where there is no language, the only thing we can do is to ask God to help us to live for him every day. As a hymn writer rightly continues, So make me thine forever. And should I be fainting, Lord, let me never, never outlive my love for Thee. And in that, then, the second thing we need to do is to then bring to Jesus our God any injustice and unfairness we experience in life. You see, our followers of Jesus experience many unjust and unfair situations in our lives. And some of these situations make big headline news in our lives you are let go from work in a deeply unfair way after investing your time and effort into the company and the situation of course has now rocked your finances there there are some bad news we face some injustice we face like that but most of the time the unfairness lies buried inside the pages of our hearts, perhaps only known and felt by us in, the, in those lonely moments. For example, your spouse perhaps is always finding ways to doubt your commitment and trust to him. And this is perhaps leaving you feeling emotionally distraught, distraught and unloved. Or oh, a neighbor has stopped talking to you because of something that you allegedly said that they have decided to take totally out of context. Or perhaps a fellow believer you have invested your life now in is now going around claiming you do not care about him or her. When you're trying to be there all the time for them, they don't seem to appreciate it. There are many situations like that which rob us of peace, unfair situations, situations that leave us feeling helpless situations that tempt us to become bitter and even slide into hatred if we are not careful. Are you facing something like that today? Well, this passage is encouraging you that our Lord Jesus knows what it feels like to suffer and fairness and injustice. The reason why Jesus experienced our life was not only to be one of us, but also to be your high priest who is able to sympathize with your pain. So this morning, go to him, ask Jesus to give you the wisdom to know when to speak to those who hate us and when to suffer silently under his will. Ask Jesus to give you the calm and peaceful demeanor he displays here in Cephas' house. Ask him to strengthen your endurance against insults and mockings. Ask Jesus to help you not to look to others for approval and somehow try to defend yourself at all costs. Ask him to help you rest in your identity as his precious son, as his precious daughter in Christ. Oh, friends, let us go to Jesus. He will help us, won't he? Because all that Jesus has is ours. And all that Jesus does, has done, does and will do is for us. Why did Jesus suffer? Why did he suffer injustice? Well, we've learned here. That Jesus suffered injustice by us and for us. Amen.